I want to welcome you into the Sunday preaching podcast of the Point Church located in beautiful Perdido Key, Florida. I'm Tim Coleman, the senior pastor, and we believe strongly in the expositional preaching of God's Word that builds our faith and grows us up in Christ. I'm glad you're either downloading the sermon or listening live to our service, and I pray that this message is a help to you on your journey of faith. Now join me as we get to the point. God, I pray that the message of this song would be true in our lives, that we would trust you, that we would place our life, our circumstances, the situations that we find ourselves in, that we would place our life in your hands and trust you completely. We thank you for your word. Thank you for the scriptures. I pray as we open it up for a few minutes now that you will give us uh, liberty, that we'll have uh, the ability to listen and to stay focused and to hear the message that you have for us today. I pray for anyone that might be listening who doesn't know Christ as their Lord and Savior. I pray that today would be their day of salvation, that they would acknowledge that they're a sinner. They'll believe on the Lord Jesus Christ confess their sin, and confess you as Lord. I pray for Christians that will be challenged today uh, from 1 Kings chapter 12. Remind us of the importance of true biblical worship. That worship is not about us, but worship is about you. So we pray, Holy Spirit, that you'll open our minds and open our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I want you to grab your Bible and go with me to 1 Kings chapter 12. 1 Kings chapter 12. Uh, if you're a guest, uh, we have just returned from the Holy Land a couple of weeks ago uh, going to Israel. And before we left, I planned to do a series entitled Lessons from the Land. And so we're just kind of going to journey around just a little bit, uh, starting up in the north and, of course, ultimately making our way back to Jerusalem uh, for Easter Sunday. Last Sunday, we started in Caesarea Philippi, and we looked at Jesus' conversation with the disciples where he asked them, who do you say that I am? And Peter responded, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, yes, Peter, on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Today, we're just going to jog just up the street just a little bit, a very short distance, a rock's throw, as a matter of fact, from Caesarea Philippi. We're going to find a story in the scriptures in the area known as Dan. Dan is up on the northern border. You can literally stand in Dan and look over into Lebanon, just over the hill from Syria, the northernmost point. And we're going to look at a story in 1 Kings chapter 12, uh, verses Uh, 25 through 33, uh, in a message that I've entitled, Convenient Worship. Convenient Worship. Look in the scriptures with me as I read the text. Then Jeroboam built Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim, and he lived there. And he went out from there and built Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now the kingdom will turn back to the house of David. If this people go up to offer sacrifices in the temple of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn again to their Lord, to Rehoboam, king of Judah, 
and they will kill me and return to Rehoboam, king of Judah. So the king took counsel, and he made two calves of gold. He said to the people, you've gone up to Jerusalem long enough. Behold your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And he set one in Bethel, and the other he put in Dan. Then this thing became a sin, for the people went as far as Dan to be before one. He also made temples on high places and appointed priests from among all the people who were not of the Levites. And Jeroboam appointed a feast on the 15th day of the 8th month, like the feast that was in Judah, and he offered sacrifices on the altar. So he did in Bethel, sacrificing to the calves that he made. And he placed in Bethel the priests of the high places that he had made, and he went up to the altar that he had made in Bethel on the 15th day in the 8th month, in the month that he had devised from his own heart. And he instituted a feast for the people of Israel, and he went up to the altar to make offerings. And this is the word of the Lord. If I might begin by giving you just a context for you to understand uh, what's really going on here in our text. King Solomon, a wealthy and wise king, has now uh, passed off the scene at the end of 1 Kings chapter 11. His son Rehoboam is now the king over the land. There's a man down in Egypt by the name of Jeroboam who is there because of his relationship with Solomon. You see, Solomon, when he was the king, got wind that Ahijah, the high priest, had visited with Jeroboam and told him that God was placing his hand on Jeroboam to ultimately be the king over ten of the twelve tribes. Ahijah says, Jeroboam, God is going to bless you if you will follow him and be obedient to him and walk in his ways, God is going to bless you and set you up to be the king over Israel. Now, it didn't happen immediately, so eventually Solomon got word of this visit, and Solomon became fearful. He became insecure. He thought that because of this promise that Jeroboam might uh, overthrow him and remove him as the king. So Solomon set out to catch Jeroboam and to have him killed. Jer- Jeroboam is fleeing from Solomon, and that is how he ends up uh, down in Egypt. The scripture says in 1 Kings chapter 11 and verse 38, the promise to Jeroboam, he had this in his heart, even though he was down in Egypt. God said to him, Jeroboam, if you will listen to all that I command you, if you will walk in my ways, if you will do what is right in my eyes by keeping my statutes and my commandments, as David my servant did, I will be with you and I will build you a sure house. And I will affect the offspring of David because of this, but not forever. I want you to see those verses because Jeroboam has a very clear promise from God. And as I I read the text, I see that God is in control. He's the absolute authority, but he's the one that sets up kings and takes them down. 
And so he says to Jeroboam, Jeroboam, I'm going to give you authority. I'm going to put you in a position of leadership. I am going to ultimately bless you whenever you take the throne. Now, Jeroboam has this in his heart down in Egypt. And one day he gets the news that Solomon has passed away. And now Rehoboam is the king. Jeroboam travels back to the land and leaving out a lot of details, we find in the 11th and 12th chapter of 1 King that when he returns, he and some of the people come in front of, of uh, Rehoboam and they're pleading with him. Here's what they say. They say, Rehoboam, your father was hard on us. He was harsh on us. He was ruling us with an iron fist. He made things difficult on us. We're asking you to lighten the load. Go easy on us. Rehoboam says, give me three days and I'll come back to you with a decision. Well, in those three days, he seeks counsel of his elders. He goes to the, the older leaders that he has and he asks them, what should I do? And the older leaders said, you know, Rehoboam, this would be a good time for you to back off. You'll endear yourself to the people if you'll uh, just lighten the load and not rule them so hard and so tight-fisted. He goes to some of his younger elders. What should I do? And his younger elders said, write the opposite. Rehoboam, you don't need to back up or lighten up right now. You need to tighten down the screws. You need to rule with an iron fist because if you don't, you're going to lose your kingdom and the people are going to turn against you. So Rehoboam, in his pride, listened to the younger guys. And he began to deal even more harshly with the people. We fast forward to chapter 12 and verse number 20. There came a moment where the people just became fed up with the situation and they actually rallied around Jeroboam. God's promise to Jeroboam is now being fulfilled as the people rally around him and they say, Jeroboam, we want you to be our leader and we're going to make you the king over all Israel. And so it's in this moment that the kingdom is divided. The northern half, just north of Jerusalem, uh, up to Dan and Caesarea Philippi, is the kingdom of Israel. And the southern half, including Jerusalem and Bethlehem all the way down to the desert, is now the kingdom of Judah. Rehoboam gets upset. He decides he's going to go against Jeroboam and he's going to take him out because he has established a kingdom but the prophet Shemaiah comes to him and says, Rehoboam, God sent me to you to tell you, you better stand down and you better not lift one finger against your family. God is in control. So Rehoboam backs off. And now in the scriptures, we have two kingdoms. Jeroboam ruling in the north, Rehoboam ruling in the south. Some time passes by. And Jeroboam is fully entrenched in his leadership position that I remind you is ordained of God. But quite honestly, Jeroboam reaches a point where he's not feeling it. He's not feeling the vibe. Yes, he's in charge, but he just feels like something is just not right. If you've ever been a leader of any kind, you felt the type of emotions that Jeroboam is feeling. He's asking himself, how am I doing? How am I doing as the king? Uh, do the people like me? Uh, do the people really want to follow me? Am I going to be able to keep this kingdom together? 
maybe in his spirit he senses that something is just not right. And in this moment, we come to our text for today where he is trying to wrestle with the emotions of his mind and of his heart. Have you ever been there? Some of you are there right now, aren't you? You're struggling with your emotions. And you're wondering, what do I do? And as we look into the text that I read for you just a minute ago, I really think there are three main things that stand out. Number one, I think once again, we see God's authority working through man's authority as Jeroboam is in his position. The second thing I think the text shows us is that man has received the promises of God The question is, will we live in the promises of God? And of course, Jeroboam had received God's promises on his life and on his kingship. The third thing that I think the text shows us is that God wants worship to be done his way. Worship cannot be done man's way. Man does not devise the plan, but God wants to be worshiped in his way. Now, these are the facts today. Every person on the face of the earth, about 8 billion people that are alive today, we are all created to be worshipers. We're worshipers. It says that very clearly in Romans chapter 1. The question is not whether or not we will worship. The question is, who will we worship? What will we worship? And in the text, the question of, How will we worship? If we want to worship, as Jesus said in John chapter 4 to the woman at the well, and I'll mention this again at the end of my message, if we want to follow Jesus' prescription of worshiping him in spirit and in truth, worshiping God, worshiping Jesus the correct way, I believe the text shows us from Jeroboam's life and leadership some mistakes that he made in his worship. Let's look in the text. In verse number 26, three things, quick things. In verse 26, I want you to see, first of all, if you're going to be a true worshiper, don't follow your heart. Don't follow your heart. Look in the text. Verse 26 says that Jeroboam said in his heart. Now, here he is. He's got all of these thoughts going through his mind. He's evaluating things. He's thinking about things. His heart, of course, is the seat of his emotions. And so he's an emotional wreck. And he's he's thinking about things, and his mind just feels like scrambled eggs, no doubt. Anybody feel that way right now? You know, every week I'm reminded of this. When we come together for corporate worship, if you were seated in this room right now, And we did not have the coronavirus. Your mind would still be filled with things. Uh, Anybody ever struggle when you're reading your Bible? (laughs) Or when you're praying? You you just struggle to keep your mind right? I can't even imagine if you were here in this room right now where your mind would be. You're sitting there in your living room and your mind is going a thousand different directions. And that's what's going on in Jeroboam's heart and life. And I've got to remind you today, God sent me here to this live stream to tell you today, you better be careful about following your heart because your heart can lead you away from true biblical worship. Let me show it to you in Jeroboam's life. 
Look at Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 6 and verse number 18. Here's exhibit A of this verse. Our heart devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil. You know what Jeroboam's doing in verse number 26? His heart, the seat of his emotions, he begins to devise a wicked plan and his feet are going to run to evil and he's going to lead the kingdom of Israel to follow suit and their feet in turn are going to make haste and run to evil. Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse number 9 says that our heart is deceitful above all things. Our heart is desperately wicked. Who can understand it? Now, let me make a statement. A statement for all of us in particular. I want to say this for uh, parents and grandparents. Let's be reminded right now to not say things like this. You just need to follow your heart. You, You just need to go where your heart leads you. Because quite frankly, our hearts will lead us away from God. Our hearts are wicked. Our hearts will devise the wrong plan. Sometimes even in the matter of worship, people say things like, well, this is my heart language or this is what my heart tells me. Be careful about that because we see in Jeroboam's life that his heart is not leading him to God and the promises of God and the blessings of God. His heart is leading him away from God. Think about the specific blessings that Jeroboam had in his life. I read them for you just a minute ago, did I not? Jeroboam, you follow me, you obey me, you walk in my statutes and my commandments, and I'm going to build you up. I'm going to place you in leadership. You're going to be over the king of Israel. And a very important point, we know that our Lord and Savior came from the lineage of King David But God even promised Jeroboam that while you're the king, I'm going to suppress, I'm going to afflict the house of David, the king of Judah, so that you will shine and you will reign and people will look to you as their godly leader. Here in this moment, Jeroboam did what a lot of leaders do. We forget the blessings of God. We forget the promises of God. Can I ask you just briefly, Are you holding on today to the promises of God? Are you fearful? Do you have anxieties? Is your heart leading you into fear? Is your heart leading you away from the scriptures? Is your heart leading you away from prayer? God sent me here today to tell you, rest in his promises. That his yea is his yea and his nay is his nay. Whatever God says and whatever he promises, friends, you can take it to the bank. He's going to do it. And Jeroboam had that promise, but yet his heart is causing him to drift. In the midst of this crisis and this turmoil today, I want to encourage you to rest in the promises of God. James chapter 4 and verse number 8 says, Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Run after him. Seek him with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Hear the words of Jesus. Jesus says, come to me. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Are you worried today? Are you fearful? I love what uh, Corey Tim Boone said. She said, worry 
is a cycle of insufficient thoughts whirling around a center of fear. Are you fearful today? Rest in the promises of God. To be with him, to draw near to him, to set our mind and our heart on him is to know true worship and real blessings. But here's Jeroboam. He's following his heart, and as a leader, he becomes insecure. And when you become insecure, you become very vulnerable. Notice what his heart said to him. Look in the text in verse 27. Verse 26, the kingdom will turn back to the house of David. How? Because if the people go up to offer sacrifice in the temple of the Lord at Jerusalem, their hearts will be turned again to their Lord Rehoboam. In other words, what Jeroboam is wrestling with is losing some of his people. In his insecurity, he's thinking, if the people do what God had told them to do, which was to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem three times a year for the time of worship of the feast and the sacrifice, if they keep going down to Jerusalem, they're going to get down there They're going to have conversations with people. They're going to hear what's going on in the southern kingdom. And some of their hearts are going to turn away from me. And they're going to turn back to Rehoboam. And then everyone's going to turn against me. And I'm not going to be in my position any longer. Can you see an insecure leader here? He's insecure. He's not resting in the promises of God. He doesn't have peace in his life. And because he's insecure, let me tell you what he does He ends up separating the people of God both physically and spiritually. Because what they were accustomed of doing was going together to Jerusalem for the time of worship. Now, this weak and insecure leader, he breaks them apart and they're no longer unified in their pilgrimage. He gives them options. He makes things more convenient. Let me make a statement A true spiritual leader does not worry about the people being attached to him. A true spiritual leader wants the people to be attached to God. He wants the people to seek God and to serve God. And in this moment, i got to hasten on, in this moment, in his heart, instead of going the path that Jeroboam goes, he should have been quoting scripture to himself from Deuteronomy chapter 6 and the Shema to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. But he's not. He's following his heart. Which leads him secondly in verse number 28. He's got this inner turmoil going on. And in verse number 28, we learn from this story that advice is not good if it's not godly. Advice is not good if it's not godly. Now, I know the book of Proverbs says, there's safety in the multitude of counselors, but please hear me. There's not safety in the multitude of bad counselors, of bad advice. When Jeroboam is overwhelmed, he needed someone in his family or his inner circle to speak truth into his life. But notice what he does. Verse 28. He gathers together a council. And he asks them, what should I do? 
what should I do? Now, now hear me. In this moment, Jeroboam needed somebody to raise their hand and remind him of the promises of God. Jeroboam needed somebody in his inner circle to speak up and to say, what are you doing? You're leading the people away from God. I just wonder, I have to wonder, if God Almighty looks down on this earth and people that gather and churches and other things, and I, I just have to wonder sometimes if God doesn't say, what are you doing? Because man cannot devise his own ways of worshiping. Man worships God in spirit and in truth. And some of the things that go on today in our churches under the banner of worship, I believe is not worship. I believe sometimes we worship worship. Or maybe we worship the pastor, or we worship the songs, or, or we worship the church, or we worship our family heritage. And God says, I want your heart to be set on me. It's not a bad thing if you have someone in your inner circle who loves you enough to say, what are you doing? And you know what? Jeroboam didn't have that. He didn't have that. He didn't have someone to speak up and remind him of the promises of God. And so they devised a plan <laughs> of making two golden calves. Now let me ask you, what could possibly go wrong by building a golden calf? Did they not already know what happened in Exodus chapter 32 when Moses came down off the mountain and Aaron had made a golden calf and the people are acting crazy and worshiping that thing which ultimately ended up being ground up and dumped into their drinking water and they had to drink the ashes of that golden calf? Friends, they certainly knew that story. In this worship of golden calves, it comes out of Egypt. And, of course, they were in bondage for 400 years, and they knew about the worship of a peace, the God, the sacred calf God uh, to the Egyptians. There is no way that Jeroboam had forgotten about the story in Exodus chapter 32 where 3,000 calf worshipers ended up being struck down by God Almighty. Jeroboam and his inner circle came up with a plan. Here's what we'll do. We, we want to keep them from going to Jerusalem, so we'll build two golden calves. We'll put one in the city of Bethel. Now, you look on the screen there. There's a map that just kind of gives you a picture of what we're talking about. The dark brown is the kingdom of Israel. The, the lighter tan is the, is the kingdom of Judah. And you can see just north of that middle line is the area of Bethel. And then if you trace it all the way up to the top, you'll see the city of Dan. So Jeroboam, in his insecurity, places one golden calf in Bethel and one in Dan, and he tells the people, you've gone up to Israel long enough. Look in your text, verse 28. You've gone up to Israel long enough. Behold your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Now let me bring all this together with my final point and say that true worship is done God's way. True worship is done God's way. 
What had God told them to do? Now, let me just break this down into three quick statements, and I'll wrap it up, all right? I want you to know that, that true worship is not convenient. And what we see in the text is that Jeroboam chooses convenience over conviction. Convenience and not conviction. Let me ask you, what had God told them about the manner in which they should worship? Here's your homework assignment for this afternoon, all right? Read Deuteronomy chapter 12 and Exodus chapter 23. Exodus 23 is going to be on the screen. It says, three times in the year you shall keep a feast to me. You shall keep the feast of the unleavened bread as I commanded you. You shall eat unleavened bread for seven days at the appointed time in the month of Abib. For in it you came out of Egypt. None shall appear before me empty-handed. In other words, you're going to do this three times a year. You're going to do it in the month that I delivered you from Egypt. And when you come before me, you had better not come empty-handed. This is what God said to them. You shall keep the feast of the harvest, of the first fruits of your labor, of what you sow in the field. You shall keep the feast of the ingathering at the end of the year when you gather in from the field the fruit of your labor. Here it is. Three times in the year shall all your males appear before the Lord God. Who said that? God said it. How many of you believe when God says it, he means it? That with God, there's a plan A and there's not a plan B. They knew three times a year they had to make that journey. And when they came, they had better not come empty-handed. This is something that should have been a conviction for them. This is something they should not have wavered on. We're not talking today about preferences. We're talking about conviction, God's way. And here's Jeroboam. He thinks in his mind that he can incorporate pagan worship with some of God's laws and that God would ultimately accept that and it would be okay with him. I love Isaiah chapter 8 and verse number 20. The scripture says, to the teaching and the testimony, if they will not speak according to his word, it is because they have no light. In other words, whatever you do in the matter of worship and obedience, you must only speak about what God has said and declared. And if you do anything outside of that, you're not walking in the light but you are walking in darkness. They are not walking in the light. They are walking in religious darkness because they decided a process of convenience over conviction. Let me give you another one. In this moment, they choose convenience and not calling, the call of God. Now hear me out. God made it very clear to them in Numbers chapter 3 that the priest at the altar could only be from the lineage of Aaron. Only Aaron. And anyone who attempted to be a priest or to sacrifice or to be at the altar, they would be put to death. And in our text, we see Jeroboam himself at the altar making sacrifice on the high place. 
Jeroboam put men in leadership, in leadership positions that were not from the lineage. Even the Levites, the musicians, if you will, Brother Joe, Brother Nathan, even the Levites were not allowed to serve at the altar. And so Jeroboam brings in some Canaanite priests. He allows them to sacrifice at the altar. And what I want you to see is that this whole charade of worship, it is man-made, and it's not done God's way. So therefore, it is not acceptable to God. This is all about convenience for the people. It's all about protecting an insecure king. It's all about bringing everyone under the banner of Israel. And it was not acceptable to God. Finally, not only convenience instead of a calling, but notice Jeroboam chose convenience over God's calendar. How many of you found out in the scriptures that God is very specific in what he wants and what he demands? You know what Jeroboam does? Instead of when they were supposed to go to Jerusalem in the seventh month on the 15th day because that's the month they were delivered out of Egypt. Jeroboam said, you know what, I'm going to make a feast on the eighth month and the 15th day. Maybe he said to them, well, you can kind of do either or, but of course we see that in his heart what he really wanted was he wanted them to come to these golden calves and worship there. And so... Now there's a, a new time for the Feast of the Tabernacles. And some say Jeroboam might have tried to rationalize that by the crop season ripening later in the north. We're not sure. I don't want you to miss the big picture today. God said, do it this way. And Jeroboam said, I have a more convenient way or we'll have a more convenient time. Please hear me. God does not accept man-made, man-manufactured worship our way. He wants it done his way. I love what Warren Wiersbe said. Look at this quote. He said, we live today in an age when manufactured religion is popular, it's approved, and it's accepted. As I wrap up, let me say, Brothers, sisters in Christ, we are called to be true worshipers. And I'm afraid today we live in a culture where, man, things are so convenient. <laughs> Everything's convenient, is it not? And sometimes even our personal walk with Jesus comes down to what's convenient. We get so busy. Our hearts get so entangled with things in this world and Goodness gracious, one of, one of the blessings, I believe, of this coronavirus and what it's doing to our culture is that it is forcing families, it's forcing us to slow down and to stop. We have less places to be. Moms are not zigzagging back and forth to ball practice and cheer practice and dance and music and so forth. No, we're pretty much at home, right? Run to the store, things are slower. How many of you believe that God wants to speak to us during this time? That he wants to speak. And he wants to say maybe to us today, hey, you know what? You've made your whole life about convenience now. And, you know, 
I could chase this rabbit for a while, but I'm not going to. We live in a day-to-day where church attendance is convenient. You know what? If I don't have family in town or we don't have a ball game or we don't have something else to do, church attendance now is about 1.6 a month. So what do we do? We make everything as convenient as we can. Even without the coronavirus, right? You can chime in online, right? We even have some people today promoting, you know, going to church in your hand. You don't have to go to the church. Just just watch it online. That's a whole other sermon for another day. We make things convenient. Our times are convenient. Hear me out just a minute. When I was a kid growing up in the Coleman household, Melvin E. Coleman Sr. We went to Sunday school. We went to Sunday morning. We went to church training. We went to Sunday night. We went to Wednesday night. We went to visitation. We went to other meetings and services around. I mean, our family, that's just... I mean, we were, we were totally involved. And please hear me today. I'm not trying to be legalistic. I'm not trying to say that you ought to have a certain quota or my quota or whatever because the early church went every day. Here's what I am saying. I'm saying if you're not careful, the devil will lull you into your spiritual life being about convenience and not about conviction. I mentioned John chapter 4. Jesus is at the well the woman at the well. And she's asking him, where do we worship? Isn't that that her question? Read that chapter this afternoon. Her question is, where do I go? Do I go to Jerusalem where all my family worships in the mountains of Samaria? There are other people that go down to Jerusalem. Jesus, where do I go? And Jesus said to her, well, now is the time where it's not about really either place. Now is the time where the true worshipers will worship me in spirit and in truth. And I remind you that that word spirit there is not a capital S, it's a small s. So it's not the Holy Spirit, it's your spiritual being. That your spiritual being is focused on God and your relationship with him. So let me just ask, do you have a relationship with Christ? Do you know Christ as your Lord and Savior? Has there been a time in your life, not where you prayed a prayer, got dunked, joined a church, said a catechism? I'm asking you, has there been a time in your life when you repented of your sins, when you acknowledged that you're a sinner? You realize why Jesus died on the cross. It was not because he was a sinner. It's because I'm a sinner and you're a sinner. Our sin nailed Jesus to the cross. Is there a time when you have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ where you have confessed him and you've confessed him as the Lord of your life? If that has happened in you, then we've got to constantly battle this thing of our heart because Jesus said, he repeated Deuteronomy 6 in Matthew 22 when he said, love me with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. I don't know about you, but God has blessed me so much. I don't want to give him convenient worship. I don't want to follow my plan. I want to follow his plan and be obedient to him. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for this text. We thank you for what we've learned from it today. That Jeroboam's heart was not set on you and pleasing you and resting in your promises 
But his heart led him away from the blessings and the peace that comes in truly following you. I want to pray for every person that's listening right now that is maybe struggling with anxiety and fear. Their heart is maybe not on fire for Jesus, but maybe their heart is cold. Maybe their heart is fearful. Their heart is carrying them into isolation or insecurity. I pray that right now they would run to you and know that the blessings and the joy and the peace comes from knowing and worshiping the one true God, the God of the Bible, who sent us his son, the Lord Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins. So may we truly today be worshipers in spirit and in truth. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.